Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Good morning. This is a, uh, an exciting morning. We have Austin and Holly Winfrey with us. Austin Winfrey with us. Uh, Abby probably needed to be taken out. I was like, that's Regina Queen, not uh, Holly Winfrey. Um, we will hear a little bit from Austin later uh, about some of his story and how God has led him to this step in, in this search process. Um, but we are excited about voting on him as our youth minister candidate. That was uh, uh, approved with resounding eyes earlier this morning in our Mulberry service, and we're excited about that. But um, nothing can or should uh, get in the way of the reading and the proclaiming of God's word, which is our primary focus here this morning. Um, let me pray for us as we enter into this time. God, we do thank you for today. We thank you for our weeks that brought us here, even as they may not have been filled with everything, filled with everything joyous, and yet it led us here for that we're thankful. We come today as every week, but maybe particularly today, needing to know, needing you to reveal to us, God, asking to know how loved we are by you, to what extent you would go to be in relationship with us, friendship with us, to save us, God, into your kingdom, to participate in that. And God, as that knowledge comes home to us through the power of your spirit, of how loved we are, that would, it, it would increase our love for you, our love for neighbor, our love for creation, our love for participating in your kingdom in this world. Holy Spirit, move among us powerfully now. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Well, we are continuing our, our series we've called God Can. Our series between Easter and Pentecost, these few weeks where, where, where we're in this wonderful place between resurrection on Easter and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost uh, that we'll celebrate here in the last Sunday of May. And in this in-between time, these six or seven weeks, we, we're discussing stories, sharing, telling together stories of what God can do when God moves in power and kind of filling our imagination and our heart and our mind so that the hope is we learn ever more effectively to live with this power in our lives, to go out and live our days expecting and looking for God to move in big and small but ever powerful ways. And last week we talked about calling, that God can and God does call his people. And we talked about some of the different forms of that, and sometimes that's to a vocation, sometimes that is for a season, sometimes that's just an act of kindness maybe, or an act of generosity, but that God's spirit is moving, God's spirit is speaking and guiding and, 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 and kind of urging us at times, and that it is our role as followers of Christ to be attentive to that, and, and then muster the humility and the courage to follow when we feel God is guiding us in our midst. 
Today, we're, we're looking at the other side of that. One, to say that God calls us, to say that perhaps another way would be say, to say that God has a hope for our life. We talk about God's plan for our life. This is probably another sermon. I don't really think God has one unalterable plan for our life. I think God has some parameters he's put in front of us and he's given us intelligence and common sense and a community and the word of God and the Holy Spirit and all these things to guide us. And kind of within the bounds of holy living, there, there's any number of paths our lives may take that are within the bounds of God's holiness, God's will for our life. But God has a hope for us. He's got dreams for us, I think, of the person that, that if we follow his path, that, that we might be over time and in time and throughout each stage of who he would call us. There's things he, he calls us to do that, again, over the journey of our life that he may hope for us. And, and that calling sermon was somewhat about encouraging us to be on that path. But what happens when we don't live up to God's hope for us? And isn't that a fear a lot of us have somewhere? Maybe for you, that's in the front of your mind regularly, or at least not periodically, wondering if you've missed the plan or if you've not lived up to the plan, or maybe you're living a secondary plan. Some of us live feeling that we've failed God in some way, and we may try to make up for it, maybe, maybe not, but we live with the difficulty of that. What is life like when our life doesn't fulfill its hopes? When we don't pursue even our potential, much less reach it, when we fall short, we all must deal with this question. Romans tell us all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of a life of perfection. It's something we all deal with. The question then becomes, how do we live in the meantime? And maybe even how does God feel? How does God deal with us in this in-between space where um, sometimes we don't live up to God's hopes or others' hopes. We know that we regularly fail this and sometimes in momentary, small ways, sometimes for a season or years in bigger ways. Folks, y'all know this. Some of us, this is some of our story and there's others we're praying for. This is their story that they're, they're doing their darndest. I mean, to do everything they can not to live into God's hopes for their lives and are living very different stories in any number of ways. The, the word we have for this that scripture gives us, that, that church history gives us is is sin, that it's the things we do, the things that we don't do, the general state of existence, condition of our soul at times that gets between us and God, that, that takes us on paths that do not honor God, that, that is a barrier between us and the, the life perhaps God hopes for us and is calling us toward, all that leads us away from God. Today's sermon states unequivocally, clearly, maybe, you tell me later whether it was clear or not, that's kind of on y'all to receive and me to be clear that God can redeem. God does redeem. We're going to have a couple really churchy words here today um, that we'll explain a little bit. Church sometimes use these fancy words that we kind of get comfortable with and we haven't actually stepped back to think about what in the world does that actually mean in quite some time. So I will do my best because often I get into the sermon prep and say, what in the world does that actually mean? And if I'm asking that, you probably wonder that sometime. Redeem is a really fancy word that just means uh, it's kind of a rescue idea. Like, uh, you know, if, if you're 
we are um, separated from God. We are away. We are lost. And God comes to us to redeem us. Something that is lost, that, that you go to great lengths to find, you redeem that. Something that is, is irretrievable, that you somehow through sometimes great effort retrieve and is found again in prize. This, is ta- this concept of redeem is talking about that, that God, if we are separated from him, if we ever feel like we are unworthy, God will go to such great links to redeem, to bring us back into the fold, to invite us to participate in his kingdom all over again. God can redeem us, bring us back when we fall away, bring us back when we run, bring us back when we fall short, and that none of us, none of us, none of us, no one in history in the eyes of God is unredeemable or unworthy of that love that God gives. Samson is our illustration of this today. And here's why we're using Samson. No matter what you've done, no matter what you may have in your mind, that you may feel somewhere in there, you know, you're unworthy of God's love, or you think, boy, I, I can't bring this before God. You know, I can't bring this before my church. None of us have screwed up as bad as Samson. So we're kind of coming today and say, all right, Samson is sort of going to be our scale for how someone can absolutely fail to live up to in one ounce of their potential. And then we all feel a little bit better about ourselves from there. And so we're going to look at Samson today. No one in scripture, probably, was a greater failure in living up to God's hope for them than Samson. Samson is a judge. We're kind of in here, judge, uh, Judges 13 through 16, somewhere in there is where Samson's story is. We're going to tell some of the story. We're not going to read it. But Samson was a judge. And in this period of about 400 years in God's people's history, this is after they are in the promised land, before they get a king, right before the time of Samuel, there's this cycle that repeats itself throughout Judges. God's people fall away from God. They're often conquered by an outsider, often the Philistines. And they exist in that state often for about 40 years. 40 years comes up and then God raises someone up. God pours his spirit out like it's going to happen at Pentecost, kind of, but just on one person, and they are supernaturally gifted for leadership and to be God's person. This happens to men and to women. Deborah is is one of the greatest of the judges, and they save God's people from their outsiders. They're military leaders. They are political leaders. They're kind of social leaders and religious leaders. But their goal is to free God's people from oppression or their job, free God's people from oppression and lead often the whole nation or huge chunks of the nation back to worshiping Yahweh God, back to worshiping the God with whom they have a covenant. And that generally lasts till that person dies. And then we start the cycle all over again. And you can read Judges 1 through 12 and it repeats itself over and over. But the judges kind of get worse and worse, honestly. And God chooses, but always before, it had been an adult that probably had some gifting that God chooses, and they're raised up to do something fantastic. God does something different with Samson. God does something that he will only do again in Samuel. He chooses him and sets him apart before he was even conceived. We talk about Samuel a little bit last week. In this motif we see several times in Scripture, anytime it mentions a, a, a wife 
who was unable to have a child or having trouble having a child, pay attention. Something big is about to happen. It's this wonderful way God moves throughout Scripture. God comes, the angel of the Lord comes to this unnamed woman that's going to be Samson's mom and tells her, you are going to have a son. You've been trying to have a son and you haven't, and he's going to be a Nazarite. Again, one of these good churchy words that, you know, we don't know what it means. Nazarite, you could choose to have a Nazaritic or Nazarite vow, and you were dedicating yourself for a period of time for God's purpose. And while you took this Nazarite vow, you didn't grow your hair, not a problem for some. And then you would not drink of the vine, so any grape products, um, Welches are stronger where you could not have and you couldn't have contact with any uh, dead body. So animal, human, your, your mom dies, your spouse, you know, something, you, you have no contact whatsoever. But it was often for a season or for a particular purpose. Here, Samson is chosen from, from before conception to be a Nazarite. No, no razor is going to uh, touch his head. No wine, no anything going to touch his lips and no contact with the dead. And he will be the one. This is something new God is doing. And then we know the other stuff about Samson. It's not mentioned, but he's given like superhuman strength, you know, without even spinach like Popeye's, other things. God did more for Samson to gift Samson, equip Samson, pour his blessing out on Samson than just about anyone else other than God's own son. And really, Samson's story is one continuous downhill slope as soon as he arrives on the scene from that announcement of his birth. No greater promise in all of Scripture and he's just a disappointment from the beginning. He violates almost every aspect of his vow. He is consistently and constantly selfish and wanton and impulsive and reactionary. And in spite of this extreme gifting, he accomplishes less than any other judge in Israel's history. He, he leads no armies to battle. He wins no great victories in the name of the Lord that give freedom to God's people. He draws no one that we can tell closer to God. He certainly doesn't free anybody from the Philistines whatsoever. He accomplishes nothing in spite of all that God had given him. He is born and buried a hero, but in between he is a bandit and a trickster. And as one said, I screwed this up earlier, it's such a good phrase, he frivolously fritters away his extraordinary calling and gifts. I got it that time, all right. A few stories of Samson. When he comes of age, he, he, he spots a woman that he desires, a Philistine woman, and he goes to his parents and says, go get me a wife. Again, it's a problematic statement on multiple levels, but that's not the sermon for today. <laughs> and they say to him, you know, you, we can read between the lines, you are a, a Nazarite. You are, are meant to be a judge of Israel. You are a person of Israel that God has blessed. You, you find your wife among us. You marry within your tribe, within your people that leads to God's glory. You don't go to the conquerors, to the enemies. And he says, she is right in my own eyes. And it sets the course really for the rest of Samson's life. Y'all, how much pain in our own lives, how much of our story that, that we don't like to think about sometimes, 
is a result of just that impulse. We, we choose to do what is right in our own eyes or some other pair of eyes other than the word of God, the eyes of God, the hope of God for our lives. She is right in my own eyes. Never in this story, never. It's shocking, never. Does Samson voice consideration for God's plan for his life? I mean, never does he voice consideration for God's hope for him or God's commitment to him or voice the fact that this extreme gifting he has is a gift of God to be used by God. Samson only sees his strength, his witness, I mean, everything that he's been given as a tool for his own pleasure or his own vengeance or his own glory. He's a failure across the board. His parents give in. He goes and they arrange the marriage and he goes to the marriage feast and, and he's preparing the marriage feast and 30 of, of her Philistine friends and cousins come over and, and they're having fun at the barbecue and he propose, Samson proposes a riddle to him. He's also very intelligent, it seems. And, and if they can solve the riddle, he bets them each one pair of clothing and that if he wins, they each give him a pair of clothing and if he wins, he'll give them 30 pairs of clothing. And they can't figure out the riddle, so they go to his wife and what will be a pattern in Samson's life and say, her Philistine brothers say, hey, get the answer for us. He's about to embarrass us and we can't let this happen. Get the answer from Samson. And Samson gives his wife the answer and they come and they, they answer the riddle. And, and how does he pay the bet? He goes to the neighboring town, you know, as one does, quietly murders 30 people there, takes their clothes and pays the bet with the clothing he took from 30 murdered corpses. That's wrong on all sort of levels. See, I told you you're better than Samson. <laughs> told you. We begin this cascading results of poor choices. He in fury, in fury at what his wife did. Not what he did, what his wife did. So misplaced. He, he returns home in hot anger and leaves his wife. And his wife and his, his father-in-law are left to think that he has abandoned her. And so they give her to another man. And when Samson cools off a bit sometime later, he returns to the village to see his wife. And he's told with probably some tremulous fear, oh, I thought, Samson, you backed out of this deal. We've given her to one of your, your buddies. And so he goes out, as one does again, and catches 300 foxes. I've never gone fox catching, but it sounds like a difficult task. And he ties their tails together and he puts torches in their tied tails and lights the torches and sends them running through the grain fields of, of Ashkelon and Gath and the five cities of the Philistines and burns down their crops. Again, told you. And in reprisal, they come and they get his former wife and they get her family and they kill them and burn them for what they've brung on. And they come to get Samson and, and Samson has a deal with, the, with his, his Israelite brothers. They bind Samson, but he's not really bound. And the Philistines come and he breaks out of his cords and he grabs the jawbone of a donkey of all things and he slays 1,000 of them with the jawbone of a donkey. The story gets worse and worse and worse. There's, there's been times in our Sunday school classes we've wanted to praise Samson and lift him up as this wonderful, godly, strong man, but he is not. 
He misses the point. He misses the boat. He seeks his own vengeance and his own glory over and over and over again. Cascading results of bad choices flowing from those original choices to do what was right in his own eyes. Friends, have you been there? The one bad choice led to the second bad choice and you were trapped into other choices and the consequences just kind of seemed to cascade downward helplessly. There's one story of Samson that illustrates so much of his life to me. It's perhaps the best visual depiction of sin in scripture, of just a visual image we have of what sin is in, in, its, in its temptation and in its trap. When he was going down to the wedding feast, a lion came out of nowhere. This stuff happens to Samson. And Samson tore the lion to peace with his bare hands, showing his, again, extreme giftedness and somewhat superhuman strength. And when he's going back to retrieve his wife that second time, not knowing she was given away, he stops on the side of the road to see the lion. Now, again, it's a big vow not to come in contact with anything that was dead. And he sees this rotting, stinking carcass. But bees have come and roosted and made their hive, and there's honey in the rotting, stinking lion carcass. Samson thinks not of God, thinks not of his commitment of God, thinks not of his purity, thinks not of his vows, thinks of nothing else than seeing that honey in his own appetite, his own desires, his own wishes, and yet again does what is right in his own eyes, does what feels good in the moment. Isn't that a picture of sin in our life that we can relate to? There's this bit of sweetness that sure would be good, feel good, seem good temporarily and it's couched in all sort of consequences that are as awful as that rotting carcass and yet we don't see the rotting carcass because the temptation for that little bit of sweetness is so strong that is there samson of course takes the honey breaks yet another vow doesn't even consider it and does what is right in his own eyes. Then there's the famous story of Samson that we know. He becomes infatuated in chapter 16 with this Philistine woman named Delilah. He's more than infatuated. He is be besotten with her. He is, he is infatuated with her, and it seems like he would do anything for her. And so again, these Philistine brothers come to this Philistine woman and say, we can't defeat Samson. He's so strong. He, all of these things get this us, get for us the secret of his strength. And so in a weak moment, Delilah comes up and says, Samson, don't you love me? Don't you want me? Tell me the secret of your strength. And Samson says, well, yeah, you, uh, all you really need to do is bind me with seven bowstrings and the strength will sap away. And so again, suspicion all over the place, right? In this story, it's unbelievably suspicious that all of a sudden the next morning he wakes up and he's bound with seven bowstrings and Philistines are attacking him and wake up, Samson, get up. And then he breaks the bowstrings and probably kills them all. The next night, Samson, don't you love me? Don't you want me? What would you do for me, Samson? What's the secret of your strength? Well, I lied. Um, new ropes, new ropes are really the key. And the whole story repeats itself again. The next night, Samson, don't you love me? Don't you desire me? Aren't I right in your eyes, Samson? Oh, well, if you weave the locks of my hair together and pin it all together, that will do it. The same thing again. And finally, she, he's worn down. 
And in this weak moment, following in the line of Odysseus and other tragic heroes that didn't know when to stop talking, he admits that if his hair is shaved, he's been a Nazarite from birth, and it's the secret of God's prayer, of his strength. And he wakes up the next morning with his head shaved. And his strength gone? Yeah. You know, the tragedy of the story, it says, God left him. He jumps up to fight like he's done before. He has no great strength. He is captured, imprisoned, his eyes gouged out absolutely defeated. Y'all, if anyone has squandered their life, it was Samson. I mean, if anyone deserved punishment, deserved to be forgotten, abandoned by God, I mean, it was Samson. God gave him so much and he did so astoundingly little with it. His story, by all rights, should have ended right there. It would have been just for Samson's story to end right there at like 1621. He, he's defeated, his eyes are gouged out, and Samson got what was coming to him. Friends, some of you may feel that way today. You feel worthy of God forgetting you. You feel worthy of God punishing or ending your story because of something you've done or something you did, something or who you think you are, worthy to be abandoned, and you're struggling. Some of you have something in your life Maybe not your whole self, but part of yourself. Maybe it's in the front of your mind. Maybe it's in the back of your mind. Maybe it's in your present. Maybe it's in your past that you just really aren't sure it's forgivable. You think it's too deep. You think it's too broad. And the consequences and the pain of rooting that out, bringing it to light is just too much. And so you, you live with it. You live with it and you struggle with it and you do your best, but it's around your throat all the time there. Others of you have people that you love that are on your heart and mind all day, every day. People you pray for and you wonder if their story will ever turn around. You wonder, is there any hope God can reach them that God can move there. And we're here to say together that it rarely happens in the timing that we want. It rarely happens in the way that we want, but that God can and God does redeem. God makes his way through seemingly insurmountable obstacles on the regular to draw his people to himself and, and to redeem even those things in our life that seem unredeemable and reach the people that seem unreachable. God will find a way to bring his children back to them. We have this amazing verse in the middle of chapter 16, in verse 22. It says, the hair on his head began to grow again. I mean, it's such a simple, almost innocuous phrase. 
And yet there's so much hope here. The symbol of God's presence, the symbol of God's blessing, the symbol of God's power in his life, the hair on his head began to grow again. Even for Samson, God was not done in his story. The story wasn't done being written. God would not abandon Samson. God would not forget him because God can and God does redeem his people and call them back. Y'all, your return to God and our return to God, if God was writing our story, probably won't be written with the hair began to grow on his head as much as some of us may hope for that to be fulfilled. (laughs) But it might say, her heart began to heal. Or it might say his anger began to fade. Or or their stubbornness and pig-headedness began to recede. Or the shame began to dissipate. Or love began to grow. Or forgiveness wormed its way into their heart. Or grace brought us to our knees. Or the Holy Spirit gripped us and wouldn't let us go. God gave Samson strength one more time. As Samson was paraded before 3,000 of his conquerors, a prize of war, weak and pathetic, but now with hair and beard. God gave him strength one more time, and what did he do? This is the part I don't really know how to interpret. He he pushes these pillars and kills 3,000 people. And it says he he got vengeance for himself. I think, I think, this is me, Samson wasted one last chance. God was with him and Samson used it to get his own vengeance. Maybe he died a hero. Maybe he died still missing the point. Either way, I can't help but think God was there even in death, ready to greet and forgive and receive selfish old Samson. Friends, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how far God will go to forgive you? to reach your heart and your soul and draw you into his kingdom, not just so we may live in heaven one day, yes, but so that we might participate in life to the full, life spent serving God, life spent fulfilling the hopes God has for our lives, the dreams have participating in his kingdom work right here and right now, every day. You are beloved by God. And God has a hope for you, deep hope for you. There are no qualifications to this. There is no God has a plan and hope for you, but or if and and. There's just this exclamation mark there. God loves you and God has a hope for you. May we all seek to receive and to follow. Let me pray for us.
God, every one of us, regularly must deal with how we fall short of any number of things. And every one of us has the call on our life to receive your grace and forgiveness and hear your spirit calling us to live into your hope. God, if you didn't give up on Samson, you're not going to give up on us. If you didn't give up on any other of a long string of folks in the Bible and so many in history, you are not going to abandon and give up on us. You're coming to us relentlessly in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. Help us to receive it with open arms and be transformed. enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.